0: Welcome to Torah di Mecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Elishava Kamenetsky and today we will be studying Parshat Kitete. In Parshat Kitete, as Moshe continues his farewell address to the people, we find 74 of the Torah's 613 commandments mitzvot. These include the laws of the beautiful captive, the inheritance rights of the firstborn, the wayward and rebellious son, burial and dignity of the dead, returning a lost object, sending away the mother bird before taking her young, the duty to erect a safety fence around the roof of one's home and the various forms of kilayim, forbidden plant and animal hybrids. Our Parsha also includes laws governing the purity of the military camp, the prohibition against turning in an escaped slave, the duty to pay a worker on time and to allow anyone working for you, man or animal, to eat on the job, the proper treatment of a debtor, and the prohibition against charging interest on a loan, the laws of divorce. Kitete also concludes with the obligation to remember what Amalek did to you on your way out of Egypt. It makes sense that this mitzvah, to remember what Amalek did, and to make sure to eradicate him is in the Mishnah Torah. Because after all, it is one of the three mitzvot that the Gemara and Sanhedrin teaches us B'nai Israel are commanded to do upon entering the land of Israel. The Jewish people's entry to the land of Israel is imminent. The other two mitzvot, which they are commanded to do upon entering the land of Israel, to establish a king, which we saw in last week's Parsha, and to build a base Hamikdash, which we saw in a previous Parsha in Sefer Devarim. The Nitziv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, who lived in the 19th century, suggests another important lesson that we have seen emphasized elsewhere in the Sefer from the fact that this mitzvah is mentioned here in Sefer Devarim. If we look at the actual mitzvah which appears in the last 3 psukim of parshat Kitete, zohar <speaking> et <in> asher <Hebrew> asalaha Amalek, pidarach Mi mimitrayem. Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. Asher karcha Biderach, a very unusual verb that he happened upon you, Rashi explains. Lashon Mikre, a language of coincidence, is one of Rashi's explanations for that unusual word. He happened upon you when you were famished and weary, and he cut down all of the stragglers in the rear and did not fear God. What's interesting about that phrase, is that the subject could be either a malek was not fearing God, or perhaps the subject is the Jewish people were at that time not full of fear and awareness of God. The last pasuk, Pasuk Yotet of the Parsha, Therefore, when Hashem grants you safety from all of the enemies around you in the land that Hashem is giving you as an inheritance, therefore, when Hashem grants you safety from You shall erase or blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Do not forget. This source, Timcha et Zecher Amalek, to blot out the memory of Amalek, is actually the source for the custom that we have to make noise on Purim in the reading of the Megillah, whenever the name Haman, the evil Haman who looked to eradicate the Jews' of Persia in the Purim story, whenever Haman's name is mentioned, we have a custom to use a grogger, a noisemaker, and to blot out his name. As a young girl, I remember my mother would take a piece of chalk and write the name Haman on the rubber soles of our shoes, so that in addition to our groggers, we would stamp our feet when hearing the Megillah, and we would actually be fulfilling the mitzvah of erasing or blotting out his name as prescribed in the Pasuk. So while this is a well-known concept, if we look carefully at the Pasuk, there is an inherent contradiction. Is the mitzvah to blot out the memory of Amalek? If so, why am I told Lotish tishkach, never to forget? Are we to blot out, or are we to make sure that we remember and don't forget? How could we possibly be doing both of those things at the same time? To answer this question, I'd like to take a look at the commentary of the Natsiv who quotes a curious Rashi from the beginning of these psukim. On the very first pasuk, of this section, speaking about Amalek, we are told, Zohor asher l'cha amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you. Rashi there makes a comment, quoting from the Medrash Tanchuma, that seems to really be very curious. If a person has lied or falsified, in some way in weights and measurements, dealing in business, in saying that something is a pound and charging for that pound, when in reality, it's less than a pound. (inaudible) A person who cheats in weights and measurements should be worried about the enemy coming and attacking. What does one thing have to do with the other? Cheating in weights and measurements That's what precipitates and causes our enemies to attack. Why that specifically? Rashi seems to be setting up an if-then equation. And when we see Rashi doing that, he is often addressing a question of what's known as smichot parshiot, the juxtaposition of two mitzvot or two topics within the Torah. If we just look back to the previous topic, the psukim that come before the last three psukim in the Pasha, perik chaf he, psukim yud gimel through tetzayin, we will see that the topic that immediately precedes the mitzvah to remember and eradicate amalek is the mitzvah not to cheat in weights and measurements. Pasuk yud gimel. Don't be somebody who has two stones in their pocket, a large one and a smaller one, so that you could be suggesting that when you're using a scale with a weight on one side of a stone and the weight of the object that you're selling on the other side, that you're you're really suggesting that you're putting a smaller weight on one side than what you are suggesting is being sold. The Pasa continues, And in your home, you shouldn't have alternate measures, larger and smaller ones. But rather, A person has to be completely honest in weights and measurements, and they will then earn a long life. Those who are not honest and deal dishonestly, kito Hashem this is something which is abhorrent to Hashem, our God. So Rashi seems to be suggesting in his very first comment on the topic of Amalek, that because these two topics, not to sin and weights and measures, and the topic of Amalek are next to each other, it seems as if it's a simple if then, equation. If you sin in weights and measurements, then a Amalek, the arch enemy of B'nai Yisrael, will come and attack. But the Nitziv explains that Rashi is implying something much deeper here. The Nitziv quotes from the Gemara in Baba Basra, which teaches us that the sin of, of sinning in weights and measurements of misrepresenting the value of an item that you are selling, that sin is worse than the sin of Gile arayos, of inappropriate sexual relationships. The netziv asks a question. Wow, that's a very strong statement. But he notes that it's not just general stealing that is being, we're being told is worse than inappropriate sexual relationships but actually it is very specific type of stealing. It's not the same stealing that we would find, for instance, with robbing a bank, but it is the stealing that can happen, the dishonesty in business that can take place with weights and measurements. What is the difference between being dishonest with weight and weights and measurements and other types of robbing or stealing? When a person robs a bank, They are aware, certainly in today's day and age, that they may very well be caught. After all, they're doing something in a relatively public way. Banks are in populated areas. Often it is in daylight. In today's day and age, it's for certain something that is being recorded. But when a person makes the decision to rob a bank, he has to be aware of the fact that he may be caught, that he's being recorded, taped, and watched, but he makes the decision that it's worth it. Perhaps he's desperate for the money. Perhaps, as has been seen in some psychological studies, he's even craving the publicity and the notoriety of having done something so brazen. When a person sins with weights and measures, though, he doesn't believe that he is going to be caught. There is something hidden. He's fixed the scale in some way so that it won't be obvious to anybody that he is cheating. Of course, the God-fearing person recognizes that there is nothing that is kept a secret from God. HaKadosh Baruch God is the eye in Roa, He is the eye who sees everything the ozen Shomat, the ear that hears everything. Nothing is hidden from God, who is everywhere and sees everything that we do. Therefore, the person who chooses to sin in weights and measures, the itiv explains, is actually a more severe type of cheating and stealing than a person who steals or cheats openly. Because not only is he taking what doesn't belong to him, but he is actually denying that God is aware of everything that we do. When we look back at our psukim describing Amalek, when the Pesach tells us that Amalek happened upon us, yes, he's describing the fact that we weren't expecting to be attacked by Amalek that he happened upon us. But as Rashi explained, Karcha Lashon Mikre, Amalek represents the notion that there is no God who is watching us every day, every moment of our lives, aware of what we're doing and looking to protect us. Amalek represents the notion that the world is full of chance. Haman, the descendant of Amalek, chose a date to destroy the Jews by lottery. Chance personifies who Amalek is and what he believes in and represents to the world. Veloya Re Elohim. Amalek himself doesn't re- believe in God. And we are most vulnerable to an attack on Amalek when our only, be- when our belief in God is weakened. That's when we are vulnerable. If we are a people who will be sitting in weights and measurements, if we are a people who will believe that we can get away with things because God is not watching, because God is not fully aware of everything that we're doing, that we don't have to answer to a higher order or a higher authority, that is when we are most vulnerable to Amalek. If we are going to be a people who will sin in a way that we think is quiet, that we can get away with in weights and measurements, then we have to worry about Amalek coming to attack because we expose ourselves and our vulnerabilities through our lack of belief and awareness of God. How does this help us understand what seems to be that contradiction? Are we erasing or are we not forgetting? The next siv exquisitely explains, Timche et Zecher Amalek, eradicate any remembrance of Amalek, any representation that God is not watching and aware of everything that goes on in our lives, that there is no Hashkachat Pratit, that there is no divine providence every moment of our lives. Lo tishkach, don't forget Hashem. Says the native. the Lo tishkach, don't forget, does not refer to Amalek, but it actually refers to the antidote to Amalek coming. If we are people who truly believe and recognize Hashem in our lives, that is the best medicine against Amalek. This idea of remembering that all comes from Hashem is a theme that we've seen before in Moshe's farewell speech to the people. They are leaving the supernatural existence of the desert And he is not just reminding them of the technical mitzvah to eradicate Amalek, but to make sure that what Amalek represents, mikre, coincidence, lack of seeing Hashem in all parts of our lives as the root and cause of all that happens, is eradicated. Once again, Moshe recognizes that his life in Israel is more natural. Farmers will be working the land and producing their own food. Wars will be fought with military might and human strategies that Bene Israel may feel that their success is by their might alone. An important lesson for them in their times and for us today. Once again, as the Navi Hoshea taught, Kahui machem devarim el Hashem. May we take the lessons of Sefer Devarim and use them to bring us closer to Hashem and His Torah. Thank you for studying together with the OU Women's Initiative.